0: Welcome to Trusted Journalism Matters, brought to you by the World Media Group. My name is Belinda Barker, and I'm the Chief Executive. Trusted Journalism Matters is our monthly podcast where we talk to members about the importance of trusted journalism and the role that they play in helping audiences to make sense of the world around us. So today, I'm talking to Rachna Shambhu, who is the Business Affairs Editor at The Economist. Welcome Rashida.
1: Hi Belinda, thanks for having me.
0: So Rashida, you weren't a journalist, you didn't train to be a journalist first off, you were an economist at heart and I believe to work both for the Bank of England and as an advisor of the House of Commons. So what prompted you to make change into journalism?
1: Yes that's right, so I worked for nearly a decade at the Bank of England as an economist which was fantastic training and a really interesting place to work especially as I joined shortly after the financial crisis began. I think after as that amount of time spent in central banking I the two things really. One is that I really enjoyed um, the process of Writing down ideas and thinking about the arguments and presenting them in a way that people wanted to read. So I gravitated towards the sorts of jobs at the bank that were more communications focused. So I was part of the team that wrote the bank's inflation report, for example. And then the other sort of um, thing that I discovered over that, the course of my time there, was that I wanted to, was interested in exploring a much wider range of subjects than ones that a central bank rightly focuses on. So if you work in, for example, the monetary policy area of the Bank of England, you're mainly thinking about the prospects for inflation, the types of policies needed to meet the bank's inflation targets. But there's a whole universe of interesting subjects out there. So that was the other motivation. And I think especially with the Brexit referendum in 2016, in 2016, there are actually there are lots of important economic policy sort of questions that one could be considering and thinking about and writing about. And that sort of encouraged me to make the leap. And the other thing to say is actually, my experience is not that unusual. If you look at my colleagues here at The Economist who write about business, economics or finance, quite a few of them actually have experience in industry or working as economists and all analysts in investment banks.
0: Oh, interesting, because this is only the second Trusted Journalism Matters podcast that we broadcast. And I have to say, the first one was with Matt Turner, who's from, he's the editor in chief at Business Insider. Again, he didn't have that ju- journalism background. So perhaps as we go through and record more of these, this is something else I'm going to discover. Um I can't actually believe that you worked for the Bank of England for 10 years, so I hope you don't mind me saying. I know on an audio podcast, commenting on someone's looks is probably inappropriate, but you definitely don't look. You you are a youthful woman, young woman, and economics and finance has a kind of a fusty, white, middle-aged man image. Has it been a Strength a benefit for you being none of those things or held you back in any way.
1: That's a good question, and thank you for saying I look youthful. I should point out that I spent about eight years at the Bank of England, so it's not quite a game. maybe that makes all the difference. And now you at me differently. <laughs> On the question of what it's been like to be a woman in economics, I think this is this is sort of at every step really of ever since I went into university to study economics, I think. it's been clear that there are more men than women in the subject. That sort of follows through both from university to then the jobs that I've done. And perhaps for that reason, I haven't thought so much about it. I suppose I'm sure how my career would have been different if economics had been balanced by gender. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there is a problem in the subject, I think, and it's worrying for the subject that for whatever reason, there aren't that many women going into it. I suppose I've been fortunate to work in places where that gender imbalance hasn't, I don't think, translated into barriers to, to to women's careers. So I suppose in a way I've been lucky to be at the workplaces that I've been.
0: Well, that brings us on to talking a little bit about The Economist. So what attracted you specifically to, to The Economist?
1: There were a few things. One is I'm an economist by training, as we've discussed. And so I was naturally drawn to areas to, 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 and I was naturally drawn to an organization that sort of has the economist in the name and puts a great emphasis on being, on reporting on economics and finance in a really thorough and in depth way. So it seemed like the natural place to apply. For a job. The kind of philosophy behind The Economist is one that I feel most at home with. I think it was founded to, to muster support for free trade principles, arguing for the abolition of the corn laws here in the UK. Its liberal philosophy is, I think, quite attractive. And as I I came over, and what's sort of less apparent on the outside, because there are no bylines for The Economist, and it's edited in a way to sound like it's one voice presenting arguments and presenting the news, what really strikes you when you work here is that there's lots of experts, people who care really deeply about their subjects, and there's a lot of debate internally about what our leader line should be, and it's all guided by the principles of the newspapers. That sort of way of working was also quite attractive as well
0: when you are thinking about your audience could you describe them for the people listening to the podcast and also perhaps a little bit about how has that changed during pandemic the way people want to receive information
1: they're both good questions but in terms of how we think about our readers now there are obviously a variety of them spread over the world and I tend to think about two groups. One is the sort of curious or informed reader who's not necessarily a specialist in the areas of finance or economics but wants to know more about the world internally we often joke about that reader being the dentist in Milwaukee who wants to find out more about what's going on it, but i read the economist as a student precisely to know more about the world as well so that's another way of thinking about that group of reader and then especially as a financial journalist i also think about some of the readers being you know CEOs of companies, managers of companies, people who make policy, people who are pretty close to the world or work in the world of, of finance and business. So we're trying to write both for the interested non-specialist as well as the specialist. And that's often, I think, the the trick of financial journalism is being able to write for both groups of people. And we also try and think about two different types of coverage as well, I think. One is just curating what's happening in the world so there's just lots and lots of news breaking all the time what the economist does is take the the bits of the news that we think are important and that we think that readers should be aware of and curate that for readers wherever you are in the world and whatever part of the world you're interested in we're telling you in a given week what the kind of stories that you should be aware of are but the other kind of coverage i think is something that sort of sets the agenda a bit more it might not be in the news this week but there might be a really big kind of shift in how the world's geopolitical order is functioning, that we pull various strands together, try and lay out how the world is changing. So that's a sort of a slightly different type of coverage that we think about as well. In terms of how readers are coming to us, this definitely this there was a shift that was going on that definitely got a bit of a a, a kick during the pandemic, I think. And that is that. More people are reading us online. We know that digital subscriptions are rising. We also know that more people are coming to our app on a sort of daily basis rather than a weekly basis, even though in print we're once a week. So all of that is leading us to think a little bit more about how we we present our work digitally, what the cadence of that work should be. Should it be that we're producing stories every day, how should we think about whether to respond to a news event rather than to take a little bit of time to digest the news and analyse it and really add value. So those are the sorts of questions that we've been grappling with. And we're quite a small organisation, so I think we've got something in the region of 120 journalists, which is really quite small if you you compare to the kind of bigger daily outlets. There's sort of an interesting sort of strategic question that we're thinking about. You've talked
0: quite a lot about in- international or different aspects of international where the news is is coming from or happening. Would you say that that it is even
1: more important now than it it has ever been? It's probably always been important, I think, to have that international view. It's really helpful, I think, when you see a trend, for example, here in the UK, that the healthcare system is under strain. And I think it's really helpful to be able to place that trend within a global kind of pattern or within the global context, how different is what's happening with the NHS to what's happening elsewhere in the world? And what does that tell you about what's driving the problems here as opposed to elsewhere? So I think it that sort of global canvas really helps inform the story and helps just, yeah, like I said, add that little bit more context to what's going on. And it also increasingly, I think, being able to understand the kind of thought process say, in Beijing or in Washington, D.C., is increasingly having more of an impact on the rest of the world.
0: Definitely. Uh,
1: and of course, I think with the war in Ukraine, we've seen that as well, For these decisions that were taken in Moscow then led to commodity prices spiking, energy prices spiking, upending the kind of the norms around what countries do in terms of the norm was always you don't invade your neighbour. or the Well, ever since the Second World War in Europe, the norm was you don't invade other countries. So I think... That's sort of something that we bring, our kind of international focus, something that we bring to readers. And I've had sort of readers in America say that they really appreciate that extra global context.
0: Is there any one story that you've worked on that you're really proud of?
1: Well, I've been editing for a few years, so this is a very good question. I'm going to wrap my brains down. There were a couple. Last year, I took a bit of time out of editing To go off and research what we call a special report on central banks. This is a 10,000 word article, series of articles. And the way in which it works is you go off, you have sort of five weeks where you're only reporting this particular story. And it was extremely satisfying. It's figuring out what the ways are in which central banking is changing at that point. It was just as the war in Ukraine was breaking out. It, was, it seemed like central banks were going into ever more areas and thinking about not just inflation or not just keeping the bank safe but branching out into things like whether they should be tackling inequality and whether they should what they should do to counter the effects of climate change that was immensely satisfying partly because it was such a huge endeavor and then more recently i wrote one of our editorials on the adani and the sort of turmoil with the adani empire so this is this was the world's third largest man in his business conglomerate which is based in india and a short sellers report this was in at the end of January and early February. A short seller's report just sent the market valuation of that business empire just plummeting. And it was quite a sort of spectacular implosion of this really big empire that had these huge, very vast nation-building ambitions in India. And just following that through, and the questions that were raised around it, the ways in which, thinking about the ways in which Indian regulators might need to think of how to respond was just immensely satisfying and quite, to be honest, quite an exciting story as well.
0: It's what we all want, isn't it, out of our days, to feel like we've achieved. So what do you see the role of journalism going to be going forward? With the, There is the kind of the trend that now everybody is a content maker so what is not just journalism obviously e- editing editing as well the whole area of curation is very important what's your take on it
1: this is a really interesting question because on the one hand that kind of rise of content and free content and social media and so on has been i think it's i think it is something to be celebrated it has uh, As a journalist, and this week we're talking, there's jitters in the financial markets, there's worries about the banking system. And just being on Twitter, seeing what people have to say, seeing what some of the experts have to say, I think is really helpful and interesting. And there is something at its best, I think. Social media performs quite a useful function. What does journalism add over and above that? I think it's the sort of trusted nature of the brand. And certainly that's what I think The Economist adds. It's the the sort of quality assurance and you're assured that what you're going to read has been written by somebody who knows what they're talking about, who's done the research, who's spoken to the people in the know. We don't often do quotes, but we we do speak to quite a wide variety of people off the record. And I think it's that sort of assurance that what you're getting is actually is something that really has been stress tested and fact checked and is high quality. What we found also, I think, in times of upheaval, if you think of when the COVID lockdowns began, when the war in Ukraine began, there is a sort of flight to quality. We've, we know that people are interested, people are coming to us to read the news, they're paying for subscriptions. That suggests that there is actually some value in having journalism over and above free content on sort of social media platforms thank you so much
0: for sharing your time with me today because i know that the markets and with what's happening in the banks you must be incredibly busy but that's fascinating to hear a little bit more about you and the and the economist and thank you very
1: much thanks again that was i really enjoyed that conversation
0: thank you